Uh, welcome to Sequelitis, everybody. Welcome to Sequelitis. I'm Matt. And I'm Manny. And uh, this past week or two, uh, Suicide Squad just came out. Yes, oh, Suicide, uh, Suicide Squad came out um, last weekend. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, um, it did really well at the box office, despite the fact that uh, it was uh, a critical failure. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it does in its uh, well. Well, now it's into its third weekend. Actually, I, I should I should correct myself. Um, yeah. See kind of how it's doing from one week to the next. Usually, that's a pretty good sign of of how good a movie might actually be. Um, you know, because despite what critics will say, people will still sometimes go see a movie in droves, but um, if uh, it really drops off between week one and week two, that's not a good sign for a movie. It's got a new Joker in it, and it's 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 got Ben Affleck's Batman in it again, and I think people are excited about that. Yeah, I mean, people are excited about that. Um, just for me, I guess, <clears throat> you know, I'll have to say, you're, you're a bit more into, um, well... Are are you that big into the comic book world compared to me? Well, I don't read like actual comics. Like I'm a, I'm a movie fan, you know, and I'll, I'll explain this as many times as, as I have to for people to, to sort of get it. But it's like I like good movies. So if you make a good movie, it doesn't really matter to me like what property it came from or it came from no property. And um, I fell in love with Batman because of the Batman movies, like the first two Michael Keaton movies. Those made me love Batman the character. Uh, I saw the TV show also, and I liked that, but not like how I liked Batman the movie. Like I thought that was great, and I've sort of been chasing that, like you know, chasing that dragon. Every time there's a new movie out, I'm always hoping it's going to be as good as the original Batman or Batman Returns were, and I still think that those are really excellent movies. Yeah. Well, and the thing about those movies is those movies were were done in the style of the director, Tim Burton. When he right. was really coming into his own as a filmmaker and nobody wanted to do, and like Batman was just sort of the, the perfect mainstream character for him to use to really cement sort of his, his vision and his legacy as a filmmaker to audiences. And then he was also working with Danny Elfman, and, and those movies really helped make Danny Elfman uh, legendary. Yeah, and I really think it's interesting also to take a look at the movies that he made like right before during and right after Batman Uh, and I think they really closely parallel that of both Joel Schumacher who did the second two Batman movies and Christopher Nolan who did the other three Batman movies like they've all got these interesting careers where they're always making these interesting movies before during and after their Batman run which I think is so fascinating yeah and what were the movies for um for Tim Burton for Tim Burton, right before he made Batman, he made Beetlejuice, which also starred Michael Keaton. And a completely different character than Bruce Wayne Batman. Yeah, but that's how you get Michael Keaton as Batman for people that were confused about it or were scratching their head. It's like, you know, he had just made a movie with Michael Keaton. He liked working with Michael Keaton. They worked well together, and so they kept working together. To me, that makes perfect sense. Uh, but then right after the first Batman movie, that's when he made Edward Scissorhands, which a lot of people feel like is one of his absolute best movies. Yeah, and there's a lot of that, that sort of dark gothic style to 
uh, Edward Scissorhands that you see in in both of the Tim Burton Batman movies, and I think that's that's part of what like the way that he envisioned Gotham becomes as much a character in the movies as you know any any other living breathing person in the movies. And Joel Schumacher kind of copied that a little bit, but he made it much more kind of cartoonish in a way that it, it sort of <clears throat> it was bridged with the Batman animated series, I think. For Joel Schumacher, I feel like he kind of came in and played like the studio director role a little bit because he, he was just trying to do what he felt like the studio was asking him to do. And even though it was so stupid and so ridiculous, he was just like, you know, that's what I'm getting paid to do and, and that's what I'm going to do. That that was always my impression of it, because it doesn't seem like it comes from like a single vision of what he wants to do. It's it's more like the cobbled notions of of studio notes to me. Yeah, but Joel Schumacher also realized, you know, and he's he's on record for having said, you know, we're we're making we're making a movie with action figures, you know, to sell to kids. Like like, especially by the time you get to uh, Batman and Robin, you know, that that was just. It was it was over the top, and that's that's actually how we ended up with sort of the the DC movies that we have now, as well as the Marvel movies that we have now. Is that in the late '90s they started making these just cartoonish, over the top for kids, you know, uh, superhero action movies, and people were just they weren't buying it. Um, you know, it was just well, diminishing returns with each movie, and then that's when Christopher yeah. Nolan came along. He made Batman Begins, and everybody was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What is this?" You know, and 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 also you had um, the first X Men movie, which um, right, you know, that was something that blew a lot of people away because, you know, they they figured the best they were going to get was going to be the X Men animated series, and then you know we we kind of saw how that would turn out with the Joel Schumacher films, but then they make something that's you know, dark and gritty and really kind of examines the characters. Um, you know, really, really kind of like looks at it more as a character study of like, you know, what are the lives like for these people that live in this world that that sort of have this, you know, X, you know, <laughs> to 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 punt it up, but you know, they they have a mark on them. Um, right. There was that, and then there was a really interesting take that Christopher Nolan did with Bruce Wayne in the first Batman movie. And what's really interesting is watch uh, Christopher Nolan from Batman Begins to The Dark Knight sort of how differently he did things because I think he he was so successful with the first one and it, it had, uh, exceeded expectations so much that they said, all right, like, we trust your vision. And he got to do a little bit more of what he wanted. And the surprising thing is, is that, um, you know, as much as I might have liked uh, The Dark Knight when it first came out and as much as I love uh, Heath Ledger's performance in that, when you sit down and think about that movie and think about the plot, it makes zero fucking sense. <laughs> right. Um, I, I definitely want to get into that with you, but I wanted to go back for one second to talking about X-Men because I think X-Men is a really interesting case study. Like, the first X-Men is kind of like what the DCU is doing wrong now, and then once the X-Men movie started getting really good, sort of a little bit later on, it's kind of like what the Marvel Cinematic Universe did right. Um, you know what I mean? Because in the first X-Men movie, you had this cast of characters where they're trying to give you the whole cast all at one time, just like the Suicide Squad, just like the Justice League. They're trying to give you Wolverine, Storm, Cyclops, 
all these big characters all at one time, all with the, the budget of one small movie, you know. And what they ended up doing was they miscast Storm famously. They spent a, way too much money on Halle Berry, stunted their budget for everything else. She turned out not to be a great match for Storm. Patrick Stewart, I always felt, was like kind of a kind of a gimme for Professor X, but he's also like you could have gotten a lesser known actor in there that would have done a a better or a, a more uh, a closer a, I think a closer resemblance to who we think of Professor X like in the comic books. Like I feel like Professor X was a guy like in his forties or fifties, but they they cast this like really old man, and then they had to cast another really old man as Magneto. And it always kind of aged those characters unnecessarily, I thought. Yeah, I think I think what would have, like, who could have actually worked really damn well as Professor X would have been Kevin Spacey. Oh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that could have worked. That definitely could have worked. Yeah. Oh, my he, God. He would have he, been, he would have been fantastic. I mean, not that, not that I, I don't like Patrick Stewart. I think Patrick Stewart's been great as um, Professor X, but... Um, it would have been interesting to see if they would have had Kevin Spacey in there, and maybe they shifted to Patrick Stewart as an older Professor X in some of the latter movies, the 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 post um, X Men First Class movies. Because that's that's another thing about X Men is the first X Men movie. I feel like most of the story focused on Wolverine. You know, the X Men were sort of in place, but they they really didn't come together as a team until Wolverine came on because he was such a disruptive force. And it, it's, it, you know, got the rest of the team to really work harder at, at you know, <clears throat> um, do it, rising to the best of their abilities. Because that also mm-hmm. brought along, you know, um, Magneto, who I think Magneto was, was after Wolverine to try and recruit him to the New Mutants, right? Uh, Wolverine was after, what you were saying in the comic books, that's when he came out? No, I'm talking about in that first X-Men movie. Uh, yeah, and the first one, it was it was sort of his origin story, just as much as it was like Rogues, who was kind of playing the stand-in for like Jubilee in the first episode of the of the X Men cartoon. It was like he was a a like a bare knuckle fighter, boxer kind of guy in some shady Canadian underground boxing league or something like that. Yeah, he was trying to stay off the radar. Yeah, way off, and he ended up getting injured and. The X-Men found him, and they brought him back to sort of uh, repair him at the X-Men mansion. And that's when he started mixing it up with the X-Men. Yeah. And, you know, Hugh Jackman ended up being, like, such a a phen- phenomenon in that part. You know, originally he was not cast in that part. I want to say it was Russell Crowe that got cast in it, or at least that's how the rumor goes. And Russell Crowe couldn't do the part, and he was like, well, I've got this Australian buddy called Hugh Jackman. He's an up-and-coming guy. I think he'd be great for the part. He basically like recommended Hugh Jackman to the part. And I remember something really funny had happened where Hugh Jackman had made this other movie, this like lame romantic comedy, and then right after that he made X-Men, and for whatever reason the romantic comedy came out after X-Men, and it was like he was the number one box office star in the world, essentially, and then he's coming out in this like crappy little movie like right after and it made people kind of wonder, like, how does how does Hollywood work exactly? Well, you you have that with with Chris Pine. Um, he had some crappy romantic comedy that he was in. In fact, I think he's been in like two or three crappy romantic comedies, and they were all around the time that he was um, 
you know, he was stepping into the role of uh, Captain Kirk in um, the first uh, Star Trek 2009. Um, but, I mean, you, you, you have that. I mean, you even have Michael J. Fox. He made Teen Wolf before he made Back to the Future, but Teen Wolf was released afterward because they realized, like, if we wait until this movie comes out, it's going to be huge, and way more people will come and see Teen Wolf than otherwise would. Yeah, and I think Teen Wolf really turned out as like a much better movie than they had kind of anticipated it being. Like, I I always loved Teen Wolf as a little kid. Maybe it was the Michael J. Fox factor, but I loved that movie. Yeah, I loved it too. And like, what's funny is I watched that as a kid, and there were so many jokes that I didn't get until I went back and rewatched it as an adult, and I was like, oh shit, this is this is what they're going for here. And it's really a movie that, you know, maybe my mom shouldn't have let me watch as a kid, but. You know, that's probably why I'm so rad, is because I actually did get to watch shit like that. You remember that movie, uh, The Usual Suspects? That was Brian Singer's first big movie? Yep, and and Kevin Spacey. Oh, and Kevin Spacey, yeah, of course. And I remember at that that time period, it was right before uh, X-Men had come out, or sort of right before it, like a couple years before. And there was a couple of, like, big up-and-coming directors that I really had my eyes on at that time period. It was Brian Singer, Chris Nolan, Darren Aronofsky. I want to say that was probably my big three that I was kind of on the lookout to do something uh, really big. And um, it ended up being Brian Singer that did the X-Men movie. And I I guess it's just the kind of thing in, in Hollywood where if you have a big director that's interested in a property like that, I guess it's just like gold fever it's like yes let's let's make that movie even though it seems not to really fit into what they really do and it doesn't seem to fit into their their whole artistic view i mean would you think the guy who made usual suspects a great like original crime drama would be great for x-men i mean it it doesn't really make sense on its face but he worked out great because he's a great director yeah well and and that's you know, that's going to lead us back into Suicide Squad. Um, so the director that they have for this movie... Um, it, it's, uh, David Ayers. Yeah, I've been David really Ayers. following his career for many years. And what's what's really crazy is... I, I brought this up to you in, in some uh, pre-show notes. But uh, just basically, like, this year's Suicide Squad movie is just a more successful version of last year's Fantastic Four movie. And that you get a... Um, a very hyped uh, indie director to come in and do a big budget, uh, you know, action superhero movie, but uh, then the studio just sabotages everything that that director is trying to do. And um, something they talked about on Red, Red Letter Media's review is like, look, if you don't want that director's vision and voice to shine through your property, don't hire him. Like, go out and hire, um, <clears throat> what's his face, um, you know, the, the guy that directed the Rush Hour films. Because he'll do whatever you want. Brett Ratner. Yeah, Brett Ratner, you know. So it doesn't make sense that they get these directors, and maybe it's just because they're looking at, like, oh, well, it worked out when they got um, John Favreau and when they got, um, you know, uh, Brian Singer, and they had them do these movies. But, you know, it, it's just not working out, and especially, like... I, you know, I know Fantastic Four, it's not a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, it's a Sony movie, but still, it's right. dealing with Marvel characters, and Marvel characters kind of have, you know, some, some you know, particular characteristics to them, but really, like, if you look at it, you know, across the board, there's pretty much, 
you know, for every DC character, there's, you know, someone who on the Marvel side is almost the exact same character. Um, right. And, and that's just kind of the, the nature of how comic books were. And I know that when Stan Lee came along, like he really tried to develop like sort of a different, you know, identity for Marvel Comics characters, you know. But I think now that we're getting into Hollywood, you know, large budget action movies, you know, where they're turning them into star vehicles and, and really trying to build up an entire cinematic universe around these characters. I think at that point, like you don't sit there and say like, oh, well, this is a particular Marvel character. And so that's why I think the whole response of, you know, people crying that, oh, well, it's a conspiracy against DCU. Not only is that that dumb just for the, the concept and the logic of it, but also for the fact that why would why would there be, you know, a set of critics and fucking Rotten Tomato, you know, being being the overarching umbrella, which is owned by Warner Brothers. Why would they be out to sabotage DC movies just because they're DC characters. That doesn't make any sense. The reason why DC movies haven't been getting good reviews is because they suck. Because um, right. you know, um, Man of Steel sucked. Batman v Superman oh, boy. sucked even harder. And now Suicide Squad is just a fucking mess of a film. Um, you know what? We, we never actually got to talk about... Um Man of Steel or uh, Batman versus Superman. We remember we recorded like two episodes and they both got lost or had technical issues or something. And we really wanted to like rant on that movie. Well, here's here's the beauty of it is is we can talk about all three movies right now. Um, I Let's do, do it. I do want to kind of talk a little bit about Suicide Squad just to get that kind of out of the way for anybody that might be listening in just just to hear us talk about that. But, yeah, um, would you like me to like ask you some questions about it, or you just want to rant about it, or how do you want to do it? Yeah, I mean, do you do you have some thoughts you want to roll out there? Uh, yeah, so um, you know, so I'm a trivial-minded kind of person, and uh, a big piece of there's a couple of big pieces of trivia to this movie. Um, one of them is the fact that uh, Harley Quinn is a character that was created by Paul Dini for the Batman animated series. Uh, he was the like number one writer guy on the series, and he's like he's very famous for his comic book writing, especially his Batman writing. And anytime you see a Batman animated series episode and you see his name on it, you know it's going to be a great episode. Well, he invented that character Harley Quinn, and she she had some trouble getting into the uh, you know the DCU canon. I mean, not a, a lot of trouble, obviously, because she's a great character. But um, you know, it took her a few a few years to actually get into other people's work that wasn't just Paul Dini, you know, and to actually work her way into the canon, and she's never been in any of the movies, and this is her first movie to be in. And so I'm kind of wondering, um, you know, does she play as a live-action character? She was written as a cartoon character specifically, not as a comic book character, not as a human, not as a live-action character. She was written as a cartoon character, which I think she worked fantastically as. Like almost like a you know a Bugs Bunny kind of character, does she work in flesh and skin? Well, here, here's That's my question. Here's a couple of thoughts I have about that. First of all, I don't understand why they went straight to a Suicide Squad movie. Um, you know, like I think it would have made so much more sense. And I know I was making the comparison between Marvel characters and DC characters, um, but. You know, I would have to say Joker is probably one of the best comic book characters ever invented. And, you know, to think about it, 
Has there ever been a standalone Joker live-action movie? Uh, no, Joker has never had his own like standalone movie where he was the main villain or or where he was like the main character. I mean, like the, where he was the hero essentially. Yeah. So if you're gonna make an anti-hero movie, why wouldn't you start off by making a standalone Joker origin story, and then that way you can also get to Harley Quinn's origin story, you know, so that by the end of the movie you have the two of them working together, maybe they end up fighting Batman, maybe that's how you show uh, Harley Quinn get thrown into the jail, which would lead you into the Suicide Squad movie. And along the way, you can introduce characters like Killer Croc, like Deadshot, like um, um, Captain Boomerang and and, uh, uh, Slipknot, and um, I forget the fire character's name, Diablo. But... You know, like, I don't understand why why they wouldn't do that first, especially if they're going through the whole process of it's necessary to introduce a new Joker character. Um, and I don't know if maybe it's they were worried of, of how well it would be recept, uh, received, and they were like, well, maybe this is a way to kind of hedge our bets to have these other characters in the movie. But, you know, that's, that's, that's bullshit. Um, and that's one of the problems that this movie Suicide Squad has is it doesn't really give the audience much of a chance to get to know any of these characters, understand what their motivations are, and therefore relate to or give a crap about these characters. You know, instead it's like, well, here's Will Smith, you know, and he's playing a character named Deadshot, and then here is Harley Quinn, and we know a lot of people already like Harley Quinn, so because these other guys are on the same team as them, you'll, you'll care about these other guys. And it's like, no, not really. And, you know, a conversation I was having with someone about this was they were saying, well, you know, they'll, they'll probably come out with an extended um, cut DVD release and that'll kind of fill in more of their backstories. <laughs> and it's like, no, like if you're going to release a film theatrically, that film needs to be stand needs to stand on its own. There doesn't need to be like, oh, well, when the theatrical when when the extended, you know, DVD release, Blu-ray release comes out. You know, that'll fill in a lot of gaps. No, that's bullshit. You know, oh, well, if you read the comic to, books. I used to say that all the time about, I remember, um, like, that movie Constantine, that Keanu Reeves movie. Like, I really wanted to like that movie. And I remember seeing it in the theaters and being kind of, like, underwhelmed by it and feeling like there was a lot of plot holes. And, and I was like, I was like, I bet when the extended DVD comes out, then it'll be good. Yeah. It's like, no. That's, and, it, that's, and it's one that's thing if you not... tell yourself that. If you say, like, oh, you know, um, I, I bet if, I, like, like with Prometheus, you know, that's a movie. And, and Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, you know, but especially Dark Knight and Prometheus, those are movies to where I could see, like, oh, well, if there is, you know, a, a Blu-ray cut that has an extra 30 minutes of footage to where you kind of, like, see some of these other scenes that, that get skipped over for the theatrical cut, you know, then that'll maybe fill in a little bit more of the story and things will make more sense and it'll improve the overall quality. But that's one thing if I tell that to myself. It's total bullshit to sit there and tell that to other people who are watching this movie that, oh, well, you just have to kind of imagine what else is going to be in there. Because that's not how fucking movies work. <laughs> that's like if you sell someone a car and you tell them, oh, yeah, it's got a, uh, you know, sport-tuned V6 engine. And when they pop it open, it's just a crappy little four-cylinder engine. And you're like, well, you can imagine what this car would drive like whenever you swap out this four-cylinder <laughs> engine for the, the monster V6 or V8, you know. That, that's bullshit. Like, you have what you have. Like, what you give us is what you have. Not something that you could also maybe give us later on down the line. So I can't... 
I can only judge a product on what it actually is right in front of me, not on what it might be later on. Like, why should I give you my $17? Well, and it's like the cut that goes to the theaters, like, it really is the director's cut, you know, for the most part. It's like there's a well, few no, no. cases it's, it's here and there. It's not the director's cut, and especially a film like this, that's the other problem. That's why I'm comparing this to Fantastic Four from last year, is because this movie was butchered by the studio. That there was something. Well, I that, didn't. I didn't see this movie, huh? so I'm not. I'm not talking about this movie. I'm just saying, like director's cuts in general, are a lot of times they're either they're bullshit, or it's just a case of like a director who's gotten like powerful enough to where people you know want to see his director's cut. It's like, for the most part, the movies that come out in the theaters are how the directors want them to come out, you know? There's there's always compromises. There's compromise with everything yeah. in this world. And that's the whole thing about you filmmaking know? is is it's kind of like it's kind of like, you know, with the president. You can't blame everything on the president. Is it's part of a collaborative effort with checks and balances in the government. And that's the same thing with with movies that get made. Like it's not just David Ayer's fault if this movie sucks. It's a collaborative effort between himself, the people who did the editing, the studio that made the decisions on which edits they were gonna use. Uh, the, the casting director for the actors that they use in the studio for saying we want this actor, that actor, for the actors for their own performances, for the for the you know the decision to throw in a whole bunch of fucking songs on the soundtrack because they're like, well, it worked in Guardians of the Galaxy, so we'll just do that, but more. But it's like that's not how it works. The reason why it works in Guardians of the Galaxy is because it ties into the story of the central character of the fucking movie, and that's why when you get there's a fucking payoff to it, not just oh we're gonna play this song because. It seems fucking cool. And that's, I mean, like, that's a Zack Snyder thing to do, and it's fucking infuriating. Because, like, music, as we both know, can make or break a film. But if you just sit there and say, like, oh, we're going to throw this stuff in there because, you know, um, fucking this song has Don't Stop in it, and we'll fucking have this scene where it's like, oh, don't stop. And, you know, that, that's dumb. That's fucking pedantic, man. And that's what, like, Maybe some people are okay, and they can watch a film, and they're like, oh, you know what? Like, I thought that was kind of cool. That's totally fucking fine. There's a lot of dumb crap that I like when I was a kid that now that I'm older and I have more refined taste, I'm like, oh, you know what? That, that, that's shit. Like, that's just stupid, and it's lazy. Um, but, you know. Well, how, how much, though, how much is the DCU going to be victim to the whole, like, superhero fatigue phenomenon? That's another question that I have. Well, and that's the thing. Is like, like, are people just going to be so tired of superhero movies that it doesn't matter how good one comes out as? It's just like, oh, just sick of seeing this. I mean, people, like, here, here's, here's another, you know, um, you know ar- argument is that it's not, it's not that, you know, superhero fatigue is going to set in and just nobody's going to make superhero movies. Like, that's not going to happen. There's always going to be an audience for it. It's just that... Even even if you had like ninety percent of you know moviegoers say like oh you know what we'd rather watch a- you know anything other than a superhero movie if you make a good movie people will go and see it I'm sure there are tons of people who went and watched Guardians of the Galaxy who watched Deadpool who watched the first Iron Man movie who watched a lot of like a lot of the other Marvel movies who watched Avengers that they were going to see movies because they were like oh well. 
it's not so much that I want to watch a superhero movie, it's that I heard this is a good movie, and they went and watched it. I mean, because there's tons of the, the Marvel movies that I haven't really watched or didn't really care about, whereas, like, Guardians of the Galaxy is one of my favorite movies. Deadpool was about the most fun I'd had in a movie theater since fucking watching um, Mad Max. You know, and, and it's because yeah. someone is putting characters in front of you that you care about, that give you enough about the characters to know about the characters, and you understand what their motivations are and, and what the stakes are for those characters. And it's enough of a situation to where even if it is something fantastical, like Deadpool is a completely fantastical character. A person who can sit there and be impaled and, you know, burned inside of a, of a, a crumbling building and then manage to unimpale himself and get up and walk away. He fucking cuts off his hand at one point and it grows back. Like, that's completely ridiculous. That's beyond the realms of, of reality. But it was entertaining as hell to watch because it was well done. And the people that, despite the limitations they had when they made that film, they, they put in tremendous effort and they displayed, you know, exceptional competency when it came to filmmaking that you're not getting with these fucking DCU films. And it sucks because you could have more good films if you had better filmmakers and more competency with the people that are producing these movies. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, about Suicide Squad, I was going to tell you that I, I saw an animated movie that was about the Suicide Squad. Assault on Arkham? Called Assault on Arkham, yeah. Have you seen that one? I have not seen that one. Um, that one is based on the uh, Arkham City and uh, Arkham Knights, or is that the name of the game? Arkham, C uh, Arkham Asylum and yeah, Arkham there's, City there's games? Yeah, ba Batman, Arkham uh, there's Batman... You know, Arkham City, Arkham Asylum. I think the first one was just Arkham Asylum. The next one was Arkham City or something like that. Um, yeah, I played Arkham City. I heard Arkham Asylum was awesome. I still want to play that one. I played Arkham City, and it was incredibly fun. Love that game. Um, also, I think they were both written by Paul Dini, so I just want to say that for sure. Um, but this movie, uh, Assault on Arkham, it was. I think it's a lot like the the Suicide Squad that just came out. Because Deadshot is the main guy in it. It's really like it's his movie. Um, but then the, the main bad guy ends up being the Joker, which I think is actually smart. I think the Suicide Squad versus the Joker, even though the Joker is in the Suicide Squad, I think that's the kind of plot that would make more sense. And this one was about like the, the Scarlet Witch or some, some character like that. Some kind of witch character. Scar Scarlet oh, Witch is a, uh, is a Marvel character. Yeah, well, here, here's the thing about uh, Suicide Squad, is Suicide Squad is a movie that uh, it, it creates its own plot by, and I'm going to try and find a way to explain this in, in a way that makes sense, but the whole reason that fucking anything happens in Suicide Squad is because someone decides to make a Suicide Squad. Like, the Suicide Squad doesn't have anybody to fucking fight. Until someone says, oh, I need to form a suicide squad, and let me put Enchantress in charge of it. And of course, fucking Enchantress goes, goes uh, AWOL and starts causing all kinds of havoc. So then they need a fucking suicide squad to fucking go hunt down the Enchantress. <laughs> like, does that not sound dumb? It sounds ridiculous. I mean, it, it's, Wouldn't it make more it's like sense? a Seinfeld it plot. Wouldn't it make more sense if the bad guy was like Batman or Superman and they like had to go fight him? Well, the, the whole thing, the, the Suicide Squad initiative is in response to the fact that um, because of Superman, they're now concerned that 
you know, well, what if there's an evil version of Superman that shows up? Like, who's going to stop him? But, but even that's fucking dumb, because it's like, well, then, you know, I mean, Superman is dead, so you can't say, well, Superman would fight him. But it's like, you did have Batman who had figured out a way to fight Superman and, and probably could have killed him if it didn't turn out that they both, like, just magically had uh, moms with the same fucking name. Um, wait a second. Hold on. Wait a second. Did you say Superman is dead? Yeah. Su- spoiler alert. Superman at the end of uh, Superman v. Batman uh, gets killed by Doomsday. No, I saw that, but I thought that he came back to life at the very end. No. No, I think he's supposed to be fucking like like you you're you're supposed to think that he's gonna come back to life, but I, I don't I don't fucking know. These movies are so fucking stupid. It's because I would love to give a piece of advice to uh, the DCU right now. I don't I doubt they're listening to me, but that Henry Cavill guy, like I'm sure he's a nice guy, but something about the whole situation with the director and him. I don't want to insult the guy or anything, but. He sucks as Superman. I mean, he is terrible. <laughs> it is awful. Okay. Never let him be Superman again. Well, well, tell, Kill him tell off. Me, that tell was me good. Tell me why you feel that he sucks as Superman. I'm just interested to hear hear your opinion on it. Well, he possesses that same quality that, that um, a lot of the people in Hollywood have right now, where they just cast like really good-looking guys. Like, he's a great-looking guy. Man, he looks so good. Like, he should be a model. He can be on magazines. He looks good. But... He cannot act as well as all that. I know English or American English is not his like native tongue, so he's doing like an American accent. I mean, come on, you can't hire a Superman that's not American. That's un-American. You know, red, white, and blue. Well, you you know that uh, that uh, Superman was originally created to be uh, the Ubermensch. Um, uh, he he was actually supposed to be Jewish. That was the reason why he looked the way that he did, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I don't. I did not know that. Yes. Uh. So Superman is secretly a Jew, which is fucking crazy because he's from Krypton, and there, there's no way possible that they have the same fucking religions that they do here on Earth. Because if that's true, if fucking every planet has the same dumb religions that we have here on Earth, I might as well kill myself now. Like, there's no point. Yeah. In well, he's a he's a Hasidic Jew from Krypton. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> He keeps losing the fucking uh, that, stupid hat every time he flies around the world. <laughs> yeah, he lands in Gotham. He lands in Gotham. He's like, "Where's my yarmulke?" <laughs> his hair gets messed up, and so that curl on the front of his forehead is actually the little curl that's supposed to hang down from his temples. <laughs> I mean, well, about about Bat- Batman v Superman, if I may, for for just a second. Yeah, please do. Um, I think this is what they want. They want Chris Reeves as Superman and Chris Nolan's Batman, and they don't have either one of those. And what they have in the place of that is an awful Superman and a Batman who's only passable because Ben Affleck is a good actor and because he knows what he's doing, he knows how to come off, and he's he's got the kind of presence where a director's not going to push him around. Like, he's going to come off the right way because he knows like that that's the thing about movie stars they know how to come off well like that that's why they're so difficult to work with quote unquote it's because there's so many bad directors out there that are trying to make them look bad or trying to trying to sully their image and they have to protect their image they're movie stars yeah. you know if he comes out in a movie and looks like a dumbass then it's going to be really stupid for him 
And, you know, that director is not going to suffer the consequences, but, you know, Ben Affleck will. Well, fuck, even, even when that director makes two shitty fucking movies in a row, and that's coming off of making another shitty fucking movie that's, that's a laughing stock among, amongst audiences with Sucker Punch, like, they still fucking keep, like, not only do they keep giving Zack Snyder jobs, they're giving Zack Snyder some of the biggest jobs to have in Hollywood. And it, it's just unbelievable because it's like, Look, you guys have these these massive critical failures, and when you keep making bad films, eventually you're going to run off the audience. No one's going to want to come and watch these films. Like, look at what's happened with Fantastic Four. Look at what has happened with the Spider-Man movies. At one point, you sit there and you go like, man, we got to change somewhere. It's got to come from the person who's helming this whole damn thing. It's like, what does he have on, on those studio executives that they're not going to sit there and say, you know what, maybe you're not the man for this job. I don't know exactly what it's going to take for them to get rid of Zack Snyder. And and here's another problem too. And and I think I think it it ties into Christopher Nolan. But you know everyone everyone holds Christopher Nolan up as this this great filmmaker. And 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 I you know I'll admit like when Dark Knight Rises came out, I went out of my way to try and defend Christopher Nolan because I was convinced Christopher Nolan knew exactly what he was doing, and that Christopher Nolan was probably the best filmmaker that we had going. Um, you know, as, as far as for big tentpole movies that still had, you know, some artistic merit to them. But, you know, and going back and watching a lot of the movies and you and I having a lot of discussion and, and just, you know, reevaluating everything that I felt about them, like I'm realizing like Christopher Nolan like does a lot of shit that doesn't make any fucking sense when it comes to telling these stories. And I think a lot of times too, and, and this is sort of the issue that you have with Suicide Squad and a lot of other films. If you try to put too much stuff into a movie, you know, you, you try and condense too many things into the story, then you're going to end up having to cut out a lot of stuff. And that really just detracts from the overall, o overall coherence of the narrative that you're trying to play out there. And I think Christopher well, Nolan is, is kind of the, he's, he's kind of the, um, he, He's the leader of this whole cinematic movement of cramming as much shit and making stories as complicated as possible because he's convinced if I can outsmart my audience, everyone's going to think I'm a great filmmaker. And that's not the way you should be making a movie. Well, Chris Nolan just wants you to get through one viewing of his movie thinking that it's brilliant, which is a very smart move because most people only watch a movie once or twice or a couple of times and they watch it so far styled enough that 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 works for them you know for people who really dig in and watch the movies over and over and over and over like i do and you do it's like it's not going to hold up for us yeah well and um, there's a sizable number but, of people that that's what they do they they watch movies and then they they dissect them and because of the internet we have a way to sit there and, and share you know um our, our thoughts on all these films whereas before it's kind of like you know, when everybody was isolated into the towns that they lived in and the conversations that they had at whatever coffee shop or cafe they went to, like, that was it. But now it's like, we're, we're sitting here recording this podcast and someone um, in fucking, you know, Sarasota can sit here and listen to it and be like, huh, I never really thought about how little sense the fucking Dark Knight makes. Now I have to go back and rewatch it. And now, like, I'm not going to enjoy the film as much as, as I did before. And, you know, and for the studios, like with with uh, Suicide Squad, they can sit there and count up their money and be like, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, we had a good take at the box office. But then if that same person is kind of like, you know what? 
Now I realize that this is crap, and the next time I see Christopher Nolan, that's what I'm going to think about. Or the next time, you know, when they come out with uh, the next DCU movie, I'm going to be like, you know what? Suicide Squad really wasn't that great, so I'm going to stay home for fucking Wonder Woman. And they're shooting themselves in the foot, and it's so frustrating, because it's not that I don't want them to make these films, it's just that I want them to make these films good. I want Wonder Woman to be as enjoyable as watching Deadpool was, or as watching uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was. You know, a lot of people really fucking love the Avengers, and so it's like, look, make another Avengers movie that's just as good, but as unique in its own story, in its own way. That way I don't sound like I'm just picking on fucking DC. Hey, y'all, let's go down to Dairy Queen and compare and contrast Batman <laughs> versus Superman. Well, and I think I think that's another thing that's happening, too. I think I think with, with the way people kind of there is a counter-reaction to the reaction to Suicide Squad. I think there is a little bit of that, um, you know, there, there, there is a little bit of that uh, belligerent anti-intellectualism of like, you know, well, you think you're all fancy with your, your learning literature and writing degrees and your, your fancy newspaper and job, but, you know, I'm the audience. Like, I vote with my money, you know, and just because you don't like it means I'm going to like it now. And it's like, that's not the way you should look at things. You should just look at, do I honestly enjoy something? And, and you know, anybody who honestly enjoyed um, Suicide Squad, more power to you. You know, it's great that you were entertained. Same thing with Batman v Superman, which I don't think there were a lot of people who liked it. You know, or Man of Steel, which I'm surprised fucking anybody liked that movie. I can't believe they let Zack Snyder make Batman v Superman after fucking Man of Steel. It was so goddamn bad. You know, I couldn't believe that either. But at least like, with, and I remember I, I I got Man of Steel and I couldn't even get all the way through it. Like I watched about 45 minutes of it, and I was just like, no, the next hour of my life is more important than. Whatever's going to happen in this movie, like it was so bad. Yeah, and that's the thing that you have going on is there's this this sort of reactive school of filmmaking that's happening to where, you know, because there is so much similarity between these these different comic book properties that they see something that is successful on one end, and so like Avengers is really really successful, and and DC is like, oh, we gotta we gotta hurry up and get our Justice League movie, and it's like, no, you don't need to do that. Like, Marvel built it up, and that's why it worked so well. And then it's actually worked against itself because you could have had a way better Ant-Man movie if you would have let Edgar Wright do what Edgar Wright does, but instead you had to shoehorn that into the rest of the, the Avengers universe. And, and with DC, it's like, you know, oh, we've got to do this. And then they're also making the mistake of saying, like, oh, well, part of the reason why Christopher Nolan was so successful with the Dark Knight movies was because they were dark and gritty. And that's what we need for these other uh, DC movies. And it's like, you don't need dark and gritty. Dark and gritty works for Batman because that's the type of character that Frank Miller's style made the most popular. So when you make a movie like that, and it was continued on when, when Tim Burton made his dark and gritty Batman movies, and then you see how much that didn't work when Joel Schumacher made these bright, colorful, you know, action figure movies. Um, right. You know, but w with the Superman movies, like, Superman's a completely different character from Batman. So you don't need to make the He's same He's the contrast. He's the... He's the light where Batman is the dark. Like, he is the contrast to Batman. He has to contrast Batman. Yeah, you, you, I mean, Batman works alone in the shadows. Whereas, like, Superman is somebody who doesn't even wear a fucking mask. He just goes out there. He's got a big-ass S on his chest. You know, he's supposed to have this bright, colorful costume. And they gave him this fucking stupid... 
I don't even know what it's supposed to be made of. Like, it, it, like remember the part in Man of Steel when they introduce his costume? His, his, his Earth mom makes him the costume. Like, how little sense did that make? I don't even remember that. <laughs> that, that sounds stupid, though. I, I just remember, like... That sounds like, idiotic. That was, that was, that was uh, one of many scenes of the movie where I just sat there and I saw it and like my head just turned to the side like a fucking confused puppy. I was like, what? What? <laughs> she's like, she's like, oh, I saw the symbol and I thought it was your friendly crest. How would she know that? How would she know it's supposed to be an alien-like symbol? Like, she, she shouldn't be able to recognize any of that because it's foreign to her, completely foreign. And, and, and uh, Clark, can we talk Clark about... Kent wouldn't know that because he was a fucking infant. He didn't know shit. Everything he knows what about Jesse is based Eisenberg. on things he learned on Earth. Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuck. Wait, Jesse Eisenberg as Mark Zuckerberg? Is that right? <laughs> they both have Bergs in their names. No, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. No, no, but no, no. He wasn't Lex Luthor. He was playing his character from the Facebook movie again. <laughs> remember no, remember no. when he played Mark Fucking Zuckerberg? Mark Zuckerberg, Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg would have been a better Lex Luthor than Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. No. God, no, oh, Je- it's it so was bad. it was Jesse. It was Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg. It was like it was like the social network too, Batman no, v Superman. No, no, no. Like like his <laughs> like his his Mark Zuckerberg in the social network is such a ruthless and cunning character. That would have been like, oh man, I could see how this guy grows up to be fucking Lex Luthor. But instead, no, fucking it's he's he's you know, somehow he knows that he's gotta get Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent together, even though Bruce Wayne is a fucking billionaire industrialist and Clark Kent is a goddamn fucking reporter from Kansas who fucking gives a fuck about him. It's just it's dumb. It's yeah. it, it's like, you know, like you ever have someone tell you a joke, like somebody annoying and they tell you a joke, and it's a dumb, annoying joke, and like you're saying the punchline too, they can finish saying it, and they're winking at you and nudging you. That's what his fucking character was. Yeah, I wish you would stop doing that to me, Manny. It's so annoying yeah. when you do it. Come on, just let me tell yeah, my joke. Well, you, you keep being friends with me, so there must be something good about me. Um, anyway, <laughs> let, let's uh, let's let's just. Um, y- you have anything you want to say about Christopher Nolan? Um, since we're kind of on the subject, or do you think do you think a standalone uh, Batman movie is yeah. gonna be any good? Um, I think I think Ben Affleck's um, Batman movie has the potential to relaunch the DCU into the right direction. What the DCU needs, in my opinion, is they need an Iron Man. You know, they need a Dark Knight. They need a Batman Begins. You know, they need to get off on the right foot with a great movie that everybody is talking about. Everybody is saying, is this the best superhero movie that's ever been made? Where people are actually asking that question about this movie. They, they could have Not where people done are saying, that is this they would have done a Joker origin story and they would have done it well. And the thing that sucks is, like, I would have loved to have seen a story that, that just explored the character of Heath Ledger's Joker, you know, leading up to The Dark Knight. But we're never going to get that because that actor is dead and they cannot revive that exact character. So instead, like they're like, oh, well, we already had Jack Nicholson and uh, we already had Cesar Romero. And of course, we, we had we had to, we have to pretend that that Heath Ledger never played the Joker because that's all people are going to think about. And so they give us fucking Jinko fucking family values toward Joker. And <laughs> what's really, really crazy is this whole bullshit about like Jared Leto's like method approach 
and how like he was doing all this horrible shit to his co-stars, but yet it didn't translate into a good performance because fucking Jared Leto's saying like, oh, well I shot enough stuff that they could have done a whole fucking movie, but it's like, well then why didn't they use you? Why are you only in like eight to 12 minutes of footage in the entire fucking film if your performance was that good? It wasn't that good. That's why it's not fucking in there. And, and like, it's just this real hammy, over the top character that, you know, it's self-indulgent and it's not as great as everyone's trying to say. And the reason why everyone was saying that was just to hype people yeah. up in hopes that they'd go see the movie despite the fact that there's story after story after story coming out saying that the fucking crew fucking hated working with Jared Leto on this because of what an asshole he was ask, a- acting like. And then also they had to go back and do all these reshoots and the fucking studio had a fucking trailer company butcher the edit of the film. Like tonally, the movie doesn't match up with itself at all, which is something that, you know, a lot of audiences don't really like. It's like it's like Mr. Plinkett says, you know, maybe you didn't realize it, but your brain did. And, like, that's the way you run off your fucking audience to where when your next movie comes out, (laughs) it pulls a John Carter of Mars and it completely fucking tanks. And it kills the entire fucking franchise you're trying to build. Yeah, I got off on a little tangent there. Uh, Well, you were asking me about Chris Nolan a second ago. And I was... That's okay. I was going to answer that I really loved that movie Memento. And uh, you were asking me earlier if I thought the plot of Memento is indecipherable. And I I think it is, but it's one of those great movies where it's indecipherable, but you enjoy trying to decipher it. You know, it it has that sort of quality to it. The same thing I think he was going for with Inception. And some people like Inception. That was another one that I turned on. I, I ended up turning on more of Chris Nolan's movies than I haven't turned on. Which I, I hate. I hate to say that because I really enjoy them the first time through, but once it got to to Interstellar, yeah, Interstellar I couldn't even was, go to I see mean, that. I went one. and watched I was so it. Uninterested and I think the, re- in the main reason why I went and watched it was just because there was another film that I wanted to see, but like I would have had to wait like an extra hour and a half to see it, and so I was like, "Fuck it, let's go watch Interstellar." And Interstellar was just, man, it's it's one of those movies like. You know, you'll turn on in your hotel room and you'll do other stuff. And every 15 minutes, you'll kind of glance up at the screen and you'll see what's going on. And there's a lot of great visuals, but there's fucking there's there's nothing compelling there to make you watch and be like, you know what? I really care about this film. I really care about the struggles of the character. I really care about them reaching their goals because I know what's at stake and I give a fuck about any of this. Man, fucking nobody gives a fuck about. Matthew McConaughey's character or fucking all of humanity and goddamn Interstellar. It's just a bloated fucking mess. It's a good-looking mess, but it's bloated as hell. But something like Memento, the reason why Memento worked so well was just as that movie, um, you know, it, 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 it's not so much that it was indecipherable. It's just that you were never certain what exactly was going on and who was, who was really telling the truth. And that's one of the things that, you know, the character, Guy Pierce's character says is like, you know, people are lying to me, so I lie to myself because in the end it doesn't matter because all I know is the, this moment that I'm living in and the way that the film is shot is, is something to where, you know, it makes it worthwhile to go back and rewatch the film and say, okay, okay, now that I have an idea of what's going on, let me try and figure out what I missed along the way. And let me try and pick up some pieces and clues to see if I can make a little bit more sense of what's going on, you know? 
And I, I think that was probably Christopher Nolan's peak right there. Like that was maybe the best film that he made. He's made a lot of really good films, but Memento might be his best film. Well, with Memento, they basically give you two different possible outcomes of what could really be going on with the main character, Leonard. Like either he is tracing down the right guy that killed his wife or he's not and he's just on a killing spree and he's being manipulated by these other characters and it's so it's this it's this simple binary option that makes it good you know it's either this way or it's that way and there's evidence in the movie to go both ways there's an equal amount of well, evidence and if you remember there's there's one part where like the whole movie is playing with memory yeah and they keep showing him having this memory of his wife being you know assaulted and murdered but then there's one point to where you, you keep saying, like, okay, she, she just got killed. He's looking at her dead body. And then she blinks. And then you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. This changes everything. But the movie keeps, the movie keeps moving forward yet backward. And so it, it you know, it, it's done in such a way that it, it makes it almost as, um, uh, what, disorienting as it is for the character in the movie which is a really you know well done thing and i'm glad that i haven't watched a lot of like inferior copycat movies of that it's just it kind of sucks that like going back and re-watching like a lot of nolan films that you're just like man was batman begins really the best batman movie and really batman begins isn't that great it's just it's a good fucking batman movie i think it's the best 45 minutes of Batman in history. Like the opening 45 minutes where he trains in Tibet, he comes back to Gotham, he starts the process of becoming Batman. Everything kind of before the climax. And they, they really shit the bed with Scarecrow in that movie. They really did. He was, he was awful. I spent years <laughs> trying to convince myself that he was a good Scarecrow and Scarecrow was good, but it was awful. Uh, and then the main bad guy at the end being Rajal Ghoul, that was bad too. But the opening, like, 45 minutes is, like, that's pure bliss for me. That's the great Batman right there. Well, and then you have The Dark Knight, and, like, The Dark Knight isn't even a Batman movie, really. It's a Joker movie. But, like, here's, here's people who are still listening at this point might be wondering, like, oh, why is it that, you know, he keeps referring to The Dark Knight as not being a good movie, Try and make sense of the fucking plot of The Dark Knight. Uh, what is it that the Joker even wants? And some might say, well, the Joker's just there to, like, you know, create chaos and, and be disruptive and everything. But it's like, well, first of all, why does he want that? And second of all, do his, does his motivations seem to bear out in his actions? Like, like does, it, does he seem like a consistent character when you say, like, well, this is what he wants, and then this is how he's getting that, you know? And... The, the thing right. about it is there's one part when the Joker says, do I seem like a guy who has a plan? Yes, he's got a fucking, uh, he's got a plan that for him, he's so fortunate that it actually comes together and it's all based <laughs> on him making predictions that he has no way of knowing if they'll actually bear out. It's like the only thing that would have made sense is if it would have gotten revealed when he's fucking hanging upside down at the end of the movie if he's just like, yeah, I could travel back and forth in time, that's how I knew all these fucking things were going to happen. I'm the time joker. <laughs> <laughs> 
When he falls off the building, he lands on the DeLorean, and Doc Brown raises him up. (laughs) He's like, he's like, Batman, let me go back in time. I'll open up a savings account in your name. It'll be worth billions, and that's the true origin story of Bruce Wayne. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "Uh, uh, how do you think your dad got all that money? (laughs) I went back in time. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, I would I would love to like figure out a way to like recreate that scene so the Joker falls off and then he comes back up on top of the DeLorean like Marty McFly. Oh and then my Bi- god. Biff and Batman are both standing there like, Hey butthead <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. This this is sequelitis, and um, maybe we'll go more into depth on our whole view about the Dark Knight. Uh, but that that pretty much sums it up. It makes no sense. All right, we'll we'll see you guys next time.